I appreciate the opportunity to, to share because the best way for me to learn is to share. Uh, as, I, as I study and as I um, delve into the Lord, I learn something new every time. The, is, this, is it okay there? What did I do wrong? Bend it in. Okay, there we go. How's that? That's good. All right. Um, we have felt that the Lord is is directing us as a church to enter into worship in a new level. We we want to we want to delve in deeper into into God. We want to to get closer. We want to have more intimacy. We want to experience the fullness of the Lord. And as, over this time, in the next few months, as we, we look at the subject of worship, or as Webster defines it, a reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power, also an act of expressing such reverence, extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. So as we as we delve into and go into this deeper, um, we, we expect the Lord to meet us there. Amen? Um, in, in talking about worship here at Sarepta, um, if I've, I've worshipped all over the place, uh, in many different countries, in multitude of different languages, a lot of which I didn't even understand. But my spirit could worship with the people because it's the same God and he understands all the languages. <laughs> uh, and we, uh, we had an experience with one of our, our friends. He was taken and put into, uh, he was a refugee and he was put into jail. And as he was there, one of the guys asked him, he says, um, uh, this, this Bible's in, in Shona, you know. He says, does, does God know all those languages? <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. He knows every language there is. In fact, some that we don't even know ourselves. Um, so I, giving honor to whom honor is due, I have to say that if I had a choice of only one place in the world to worship, I would want to worship here with, at Sarepta. Our, our, our leaders here, um, worship with abandon. They, they worship with a true worshiper's heart. Uh, I'm, I'm learning, and, and I know uh, we all are, and, and will be until we meet him face to face and know as we are known. And this young lady here is giving honor to whom honor is due. She worships with abandon to God, and she's leading us into that, and that's awesome. And when, um, when Avril and I were going through all our difficulties with our children, to come into worship, we would just break down. We would just totally dissolve into tears. And it's because worship touches a part of us that nothing else does. It, it, our soul touches God. 
in worship. And that's that sensitivity, the rawness of our souls, we're touching the Lord. And we just melted. We, we couldn't even get through one verse. It's because there's, there's something in worship that, that touches our, the very center core of our being and really understands who the, God is and the greatness of His nature. So as, as we come into this, I'm calling this the, the, true, the heart of a true worshiper. Um, why is worship so important? It's absolutely central to who we are as, as creatures. We're a created being and we're created to worship. It's, it's the very point of our existence. It's, it's, very, it's so important that we look at Jesus in the wilderness as He's preparing Himself for ministry. One of the very first temptations that He faces revolves around worship, doesn't it? The very first thing that Satan throws into Him, He promises Jesus something of great value in exchange for worship. He says, I'll give you this if you'll give me worship. And, and in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Well, first of all, he's a liar. He can't really deliver on the promise, but even if he could, Jesus had a short and simple answer for him. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Exclusively. Nothing else. So, you see, there is a counterfeit worship. Satan wanted to counterfeit the true thing. Right? He wants to counterfeit everything that God has for us in reality. God wants to make a counterfeit of it. So we, we need to be aware. We need to be uh, spiritually aware of the counterfeit that He wants to hand out. So that when it comes, we recognize it. You don't counterfeit something that is of no value. Right? I think the Zim dollar is pretty safe from being counterfeited. <laughs> right? <laughs> Only an idiot would try to counterfeit a Zim dollar, right? I mean, the, the paper costs you more than it's worth. So, you don't counterfeit something that's of value, uh, that, that isn't of value. You only try to counterfeit something that's of great value. So the enemy chooses to take this time where, where Jesus is what he thinks is in a low point. But actually, he was ready for him. So, in Psalms 29, verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Our desire here at Sarepta is to, is to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. To give Him what He's due. 
It's not giving him anything that he doesn't deserve, way more than we could even come up with. His name is to be exalted on our lips and in our hearts. Jesus also related a problem that we have in worship in Mark chapter 7, verse 6 through 7. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Oh, well, thank God we don't do that. Amen? If there's a song called, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Now, if we, if we had to sing the truth of what was actually in our heart when we're singing the song, sometime it might come out like this. I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I believe I left the dog inside the house. The sofa's gone and it will make me sad. Right? I would call that distracted worship. If our, if our heart, if our mind and our heart is somewhere else, and what comes out of our mouth is not really praise to God, is it? <laughs> but we never do that, so thank goodness. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Jesus talked about having a divided heart. Our heart, a human heart, has a limited capacity. It, it's, it's why he says there needs to be an exclusiveness about the worship of God. Because we can't hold more than one thing in our heart at a time. You see, it's a heart issue. The position of their bodies was not of importance. It was what was in their heart when they were worshiping. Where their heart was. When we think of worship, I'm just going to do a little social experiment here real quickly. There are, are male attributes and female attributes. We think of female, we think... Nurturing, soft, um, what kind of attributes? Tell me, somebody. Gentle, what else? Kind. We think of male attributes. Daryl, strong, warrior, warrior, right? Huh? Taking control. Okay, when we think of worship, quickly, which, which attributes do we most ascribe to worship? Huh? How many say female? Quite a few, yeah. A male? Maybe not as many. God created us in His image. He, he has both attributes, doesn't He? He's an all-powerful, almighty uh, God, but He's also gentle. He's also soft, approachable, kind. So we see in worship there are the attributes of God where are revealed to us as we draw closer to Him. Um, I meant to bring a, 
I'm going to borrow one of these here. Talking about positional worship. Okay. This is a staff. Okay, pretend it's a staff. Okay. Okay, what am I doing? I'm leaning on it. Not saying anything. Well, I am because I'm telling you. Jacob leaned on his staff and worshipped, the Bible says. He, he leaned on the staff. He didn't, he didn't sing a chorus. He wasn't singing a hymn. He wasn't saying any words. For we don't know any other thing that he was just leaning on a staff. Does it require... We, we worship and praise and worship with music quite often, right? When we think of worship, we think we usually associate immediately with music, singing. But he leaned on a staff and worshipped. He, he, he wasn't involved in any singing. So what, what, what was the essence of worship for him was from his heart, right? So, and, and really, even when we have all the embellishments and the wonderful corporate worship that we have, it's still a heart issue, isn't it? Because it's where is the position of our heart, not the position of our body, that matters. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, it says, And then I once again fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread, drank no water, because of all the sin that you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and arousing his anger. Uh, Moses fell prostrate and worshipped God for 40 days and 40 nights. His position was laying flat on the, on the floor, face down, and he was worshipping. When we think of worship, we, we tend to put it in a, a certain box, but it's, it's, not, it's not always about our position. In Genesis 22, verse 5, Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So his, his worship was total sacrifice, wasn't it? <laughs> Something he holds very, very dear. The future of all that God had promised him was now to be sacrificed. But he said in faith, we'll go over there and we will come back. <laughs> Didn't he? His, his, his worship involved sacrifice. It involved faith. And he made a, an outward sign of his inward faith to God in worship. So, the attributes and the styles of worship are diverse, aren't they? I mean, I could sit, we could talk for hours and hours on false worship. There's, there's all kinds of false worship in the world. Um, but we, we want to look at the real so that we recognize the counterfeit when it comes. The, the best, they don't teach, you know how they teach a person to find a counterfeit bill? Is they give them thousands of real ones. 
right? You give them thousands of real ones. They get so used to handling the real that the second they get a counterfeit, they immediately know what it is because the texture is wrong. It doesn't feel right. So let's, as we go into this, let's look at what the real is, the true, the true heart of worship. In Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 6 and 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Right? He, with total abandon, he danced before the Lord. That was his worship. He was worshiping God. He was dancing. It's not, it's, it's not my particular style of worship. I, would, I, I, I don't know how to dance very well. So, but he danced with all his might. And with total abandon, and he really didn't care what anybody thought. His wife, it says, despised him. But he replied in verse 22, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. What was the result of that? It says that, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. If you don't want to become spiritually barren, don't judge another's worship. We, um, we all worship before God. It's to Him. It doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Worship God with abandon. I'll become even more undignified than this. <laughs> Amen? We're created to worship, but God is a jealous God. And He uses words that are pretty heavy when He speaks about those who worship idols. He uses words like whore, adulterous generation. Right? Heavy, heavy stuff. Because we think about relationship that that betrayal of adultery uh, is that between a husband and wife it's 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 the ultimate betrayal isn't it and and that's that's the the feeling that God is saying that happens when we pursue an idol when we put something else in his place when we turn away from that relationship and give our affection to another. And so worship, how important is worship? <laughs> That's how important it is to God. He, he's looking at our hearts. He's looking where we, where we are, not with our lips, not with our position, but with our heart. My story of... of Beginning a, a relationship with God is I. Um, I got. I, I've always believed in God my whole life. I was never an atheist. Um, for some reason, I just always thought, "Hey, there's there's got to be a God because look around you. I mean, who created all this stuff? It's way too complex, you know." And uh, I didn't really know the Lord. I went to church for a long time, sat in church. Um, if you had asked me, do I believe that, that Jesus was the Son of God, I would have answered yes. And if you would have said, well, uh, do you believe the Word of God is the truth, I would have said yes, but I wasn't saved. 
I would have died then, I would have gone to hell. Because I had not made a confession of my faith. I had not committed myself to Him. So at one point, you know, they, I was a, a musician of sorts. I'm still a musician of sorts. <laughs> uh, but I, I always, music has always done something to me. It's moved me at a soul level. And um, when I was going to church, they, they had uh, a concert every Monday night. And they would invite, it was a big church, 3,000 people. Uh, they would invite different people. It was back in the beginning of the um, sort of the contemporary Christian music movement. And so uh, people like uh, Keith Green uh, came and ministered there, Mylon Lefevre, some of the original Christian rockers, you know. And being a musician, I, I honestly thought most Christian music really stunk to me. Okay, I'm sorry, but that's how I felt at the time. I didn't, I didn't appreciate Christian music. I, didn't, I thought it was lame. But these guys actually began to, to meet me where I was. And then I noticed that they weren't just singing songs, but they actually had a message within their song. Within their music, they were actually ministering. And uh, it, it brought me to a place of conviction, and I, um, I gave my life to Christ uh, at, a, at a Keith Green concert. He led me to Christ. And I, um, my life from that point was changed. I, I had been sitting in a church where people were worshiping me and I, I never entered into worship. I didn't understand worship. I was like, what are these people doing? You know, they're raising their hands. They're, you know, I did, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, but when I, when I encountered Jesus, when I really came to the truth of who He was, now I could worship. See, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. My spirit was dead. My dead spirit could not relate to God in any way. It was only Him, His grace, that, that saved me. My, my dead spirit was unable to communicate with God like He wanted me to. Because He desired my worship. So, we're all at different levels. I was, I was a baby Christian and didn't really understand worship. But I began my my feeble attempts to enter into it. And I would raise my hands and I would, I would um, worship God as, as I could. And as we progress in worship, there's always a deeper place to go, amen? It's always deeper. There's more. There's always more. We're never, ever arrived. And because God is so, we, we, are, we are finite, God is so infinite, so beyond us, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful God. And so, as, as I begin to really enter into worship, the, the music attracted me, but the, the worship is what fed my soul. I began to, to receive from God and give to God my all, to lay my life out before Him. In the cases... In the Bible, of God talks about serving God and mammon. 
We can't serve two masters. The same really applies to worship. We can't be worshiping two things. The the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Um, God, God knows that a false idol will displace him from your heart. And we, as men and women, we tend to, to worship a lot of things. The world is full of false worship. And the devil's desire is to displace that which God wants to have be center in your heart. So when you put God first in your heart and you put Him in that central place, know that the devil will attempt to dislodge Him from there. <laughs> right? He will attempt to, to displace Him. In Daniel chapter 3, in verse 5 and 6, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And we know the story. The end result was that they didn't count the cost of their lives of higher value than the object of their worship. They didn't count the cost of greater value. It's about cost and value and worship. They refused to have God displaced from their hearts And when they were in the furnace, it burned off everything that bound them. They were there with the presence of God. And the presence of God burned off everything that bound them. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. The presence of God is what took away the thing that was to be the instrument of their destruction became the instrument of their salvation because of God, His presence. It's the presence of God that breaks the chain. And true, entering into real true worship or having the heart of a true worshiper We see Jesus talks about it in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Um, In verse 16, he says, he told the woman at the well, he says, go, call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. He replied, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you're now with isn't your husband. So what you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> it's kind of obvious. 
Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Right? That's important. What you do not know. You worship what you do not know. How many people um, worship things they don't even know? All of the the not knowing the object of your the true object of your worship is very critical in this world, isn't it? Um, it pretty much describes all the false religions of the world. On 9/11, there was Muslims. They crashed, hijacked planes into the towers. As they were doing so, they were worshiping Allah. And they, as they crashed in and committed suicide, they awoke in the presence of Jesus on their knees and had to proclaim Him Lord of all. They weren't taken to a place where there were a bunch of virgins. Rather, they were sent into a place where the, the Bible says, the worm never dies and the gnashing of teeth will go on forever. They worshipped what they did not know. The result for them is catastrophic. And for those who, whose lives they destroyed who, and so much pain that they brought. The, Jesus said, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. He is seeking a kind of worshiper. The kind of worshiper is a worshiper that Worships in spirit and in truth. See, my spirit was dead. But when it came alive, I could worship. Amen? When my spirit came alive, my spirit, the spirit within me now, Christ in me, and my own human spirit could worship God. Before that, I was dead. I had no life in me. She says, I know that Messiah... Is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. He, and Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You see, she had a revelation of the truth right there, didn't she? The truth is that Jesus is the Savior of the world, he's worthy of worship. Worthy because of what he did. Worthy of because who he is. Worthy of, of all that we could possibly ever get together and give to him. There's no gift too great. There's nothing we could ever do to repay him for the love he's given to us. We deserve destruction. And we get life. And life abundantly. So... 
Jesus right there was revealing really a massive paradigm shift in worship. You see, because he was shifting from the old covenant to the new covenant right there. He was giving us a prophecy. He's saying, it, it's coming and now is. I'm he. Right? I'm, I'm the fulfillment of the old and I'm ushering in the new. Well, what do I mean by that? See, in the, in the center of the Judaic worship was the temple. Right? And they had a very linear progression of worship. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Right? You come through the gates of the temple. Right? From through the gates with thanksgiving. Right? It was an offering. You had to have something in your hand. Right? We brought a gift of thanks to God. We, we, we love you, God. We appreciate what you've done for us. Right? We bring a gift. And then, I will enter his courts with praise. Right? So the next linear step in that worship was through the courts. So you walked into the courts and you begin to praise God. Amen? And our worship here quite often mirrors that because that was the type. But Jesus was saying, you're standing in front of the reality. Amen? It's not about where anymore, is it? The temple is not about the temple. It's not about whether it's on this mountaintop or on that mountaintop. It's about being a true worshiper. See, because the next step was into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. The problem was is only one person could do it and only one time a year. There's a high priest and he could only go in on what? The Day of Atonement. Right? The problem was, is God wants to be close to every one of us. He wants us in His presence. He wants us with Him. He wants us right there. There was a veil that separated the, outer, the court from the inner court, the presence of God that was a veil in the temple in Jerusalem was a foot thick so that nobody could accidentally tear it because if you did, you'd file dead in the presence of God. Because you were going in without atonement. Jesus is saying right here, He's saying that's all changed. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, He said, it is finished. It's finished. Hallelujah. It's finished. The veil ripped from the top to the bottom. And it was a foot thick. And now you can enter boldly into His presence. It's not about where anymore, is it? It's about being a true worshiper. It's about right here. You can worship leaning on a staff. You can worship in your car. You can worship laying flat out on the floor. You can worship in the mountains. You can worship here at Sarepta. Because He is the atonement. He Himself is the atonement. And He ripped that separating veil said, come directly into my presence. You won't be destroyed. You're atoned for. It's an amazing shift that happened. He revealed it right here in this passage to 
this woman, a Samaritan woman. She didn't even know why he was talking to her. Because Jews didn't talk to Samaritans on a rule. And a woman much less. But Jesus, thank God, doesn't look on the outside, does he? He values us all. We're valued by God. We're of great value to him. There's no place anymore. There's no position anymore. There's no preparation anymore. There's no provision of sacrifice anymore because He's done that. He's fulfilled that. It's about knowing the truth of who God is. She didn't know who she was talking to and that she had a revelation. Now He's worthy of worship because she knows the truth. I didn't know who God was. I was dead. My spirit came alive and I began to know who Jesus was. And now I can worship. Hallelujah. We can't worship in the Spirit unless we were born in the Spirit. The truth is the revelation of who Christ really is. His redemption, His sinless perfection. That's always been the most amazing thing to me. It's a thing that always inspires my heart to worship is the sinless perfection of Christ. Because we're so, we're so imperfect. I look at myself and I just, oh, God, why do you put up with me, man? <laughs> I don't know. But he is so perfect. And look at Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> In the movie, Bruce Almighty, which is really a stupid movie, not scripturally correct in any way, what, whatever. But it did pose a very interesting question that I, that I thought was kind of interesting. It, and if you don't know the movie, he was given the attributes of being, he said, well, if I was God, I could fix this in, in a day. He was given the attributes of being able to be God as an experiment, and God took a vacation. And so, as God, he finds out that he can't even get his girlfriend to love him. Right? So he asks God this question. How do you make so many people love you without affecting free will? And God replies, Welcome to my world, son. It's an interesting question, isn't it? But God quite easily can do that because He gave His very best. He gave Jesus. That's His answer. How do you get so many people to love you without affecting free will? You take their place. You die for them. C.S. Lewis said, Within the Trinity, analogous society exists within the divine being. God is love, and within Him the concrete reciprocities of love exist before all worlds and are thence derived to the creatures. This, what, uh, what He said, really a light kind of went on for me. God doesn't really need us. 
but He desires us. Right? He, he really is complete in Himself. This, this uh, inaugural society, a parallel society, exists within God. He doesn't need us. But He desires us. He desires our worship. He desires our fellowship. He desires us to be close to Him. Intrinsically, on the other hand, we need God. We, we cannot survive without Him. We, we must have Him, His presence. We need, to, we need to honor, to submit to, and to pay homage to God. It's, it's, a, it's a need in our life. David was, a, was first a worshiper and then a warrior. Right? He, he first was a worshiper and then he was a warrior. It's a, it's a model for spiritual warfare. Um, when I think about spiritual warfare, I think about displacement. You know, displacement is what makes a ship float. Um, in seawater, there's 1,025 kilograms per cubic meter displacement. Right? It's what holds, makes a steel ship float in the ocean. And uh, when I was getting my scuba instructor certification, I had to know these facts about displacement because it's, it's an important part of physics and diving. But uh, on the island where I was at, these islanders didn't really understand displacement, so they would load a very small boat up with a whole lot of people. They would say, like the taxis here in South Africa, there's always room for one more, right? So they would just keep putting more people in until they would walk in soaking wet. I'd say, well, where's your boat? they say, well, it's out on the bottom out there. Right? So if we put, uh, it works in two ways. The Spirit of God, pneuma, the air, right? Uh, causes our boat to float. And then we put something else in, we're going to sink. God buoys us up by His presence. Also, if we have our, our vessel of limited capacity and we put other things in, we displace God out of our life. So we, we need to be aware of both, both. It's the best analogy that I personally can come up with, with of how our heart is a vessel that needs to be filled with God to, and overflow to others. Um, God is, talks, I'm going to speed up here because I think I'm running out of time. Am I getting close here? Uh, I'll go to right to Second Chronicles 20 and 21. It says, They rose early in the morning. They went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, had, which had come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to slay and destroy them. 
And when they had made an end to them, it said none of them escaped. So as they put God at the front of all they were doing, He Himself fought their battles. That's where we want to be. It's a repta, amen? We want to have God out front. We lead in worship, in battle. Amen? Uh, spiritual warfare, praying in the Spirit, casting down strongholds through worship, through the Spirit of God. As we, as we begin to, to ga- grasp what it really is to displace the enemy, light disperses darkness, right? Uh, if you lift him up, he will, he will drive the enemy out before you. As we lift God up, our enemy becomes smaller. J, uh, David only saw Goliath in the perspective of his God. He didn't see him from a manly perspective, did he? An earthly perspective. He saw him in the light of who God is and defeated him because, he, because his God was greater. He, he didn't look up and go, oh, wow, you're so big. He looked up and went, God is so big. Amen? And so when we, when we have spiritual warfare, we don't look at it from an earthly perspective. Can I have just another minute? Okay, I just, I'll end with this, I promise. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 30, one of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and he sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with tears and wiped him with the hairs of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had been him saw it, he spake within himself, his heart, and he said, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered his heart and said to him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave both of them. Tell me, which of them would love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, he said to him, you have rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water, but my feet, she has washed my feet with tears. She wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, But this woman, since I came in, hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. Her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. For she loved much to whom, but to whom little is forgiven, the same love is little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And they sat at meat with him. And he, they said, who is he that forgiveth sins also? 
Thy faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, the difference between this woman and the Pharisee is one thing. They were looking at the cost, but she saw the value. They only saw the cost of the ointment, but she saw the great and overshadowing value of who Jesus was. She didn't count the cost. Too little. Nothing was of greater value. Hallelujah. That's the heart of worship. It's the true heart of worship.